Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at, is a good buy or a bargain the same thing? Some strategic analysis and risk management is going to help you traverse the volatility of the current market and create a portfolio that you can be proud of rather than one that's sitting in the red. Look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my co-host and offsider, Mitchell Lorenzel. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. We're going to take a trip to the mall today. We're going to go buying. More importantly, though, rather than looking at the final product, I want to talk to you about, in the stock market specifically, identifying market buys and the process to be able to do that. Mm. It's an interesting one. We've been through a period of uh, sell-off in the markets, and obviously, you know, there's lots of value out there. Uh, where do you spend your money? Where's the uh, the best deal to be had? So let's dive into it. I think that's important to note. A contextual framework, you know, a couple of years ago, bottom left, top right, you bought anything tech or growth, it went up. Now we're in a very challenging situation. The S&P a couple of weeks ago just hit bear market territory, technically, as per the definition. Mm. So applying some of this process, I know we're going to dive into the litmus test, valuation, and, you know, the out-the-window test as well will certainly help a lot of investors and traders out there. That's right. The biggest trap I think a lot of people can fall into is the difference between what's a buy and what's a bargain. Um, you know, if you take a stock that was maybe, you know, $60 two weeks ago, it might be 45 now, and you think, oh, well, you know, I wanted to buy it at 60 uh, So 45 is an absolute bargain to get it. But a lot can change in that period of time, particularly outlooks. Um, you know, the, the fundamentals for a business are unlikely to have changed that much in that period of time. Certainly not by that quantum, but it's the outlook because, yeah, we buy our investments um, today for what they're going to do in the future. And as I keep reminding anyone that will listen, you make your money when you buy, not when you sell. So it's about making sure that you don't pay too much. You get the right kind of asset. You get a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of a momentum in that. That's where you cash in. If you buy at the wrong time or buy badly, very, very hard to turn that into a profitable trade. Well, let's distinguish between the two, AB, a little further. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when investors out there are looking for a bargain, it's based purely on price and valuation. Now, mm-hmm. the challenge is, of course, is that if the stock gets hammered over a week's time and it's now at a 20% discount, mm-hmm. does that necessarily mean that you're going to buy it, even though there could be further downside? That's right. I mean, price and value are two different things. Price is what you pay. Value is not always what you get. So I think there's a there's an additional level of, of work that needs to be done uh, in here. And, and, and look, I guess right off the top, there'll be a lot of people listening to this with the correction we've seen in markets. Uh, and they're always the people that come out and say, oh, just, just hold on for the long term. You know, everything will be right. Don't get too caught up in it all. The reality is that's pretty flawed from an advice perspective. If you take the GFC, for example, it took the market 12 years to recover post GFC. If you take the dot com boom and bust, uh, it took the market 15 years to recover from that. So this notion of, oh, I'll just write it out, it's fine. It is if you want to have you know, 10, 12, 15 years of no opportunity where you're waiting for your capital to come back to where it could be. And in this inflationary environment, that's just simply nuts to do that. So um, yeah, this is about really taking a proactive step. So when we look at I think something that's a buy, what we're looking for are several points of confirmation. And I'm, I'm a big fan of this rule of three in life. If you think about a table, you go to a restaurant, uh, you know, you get a table, it's going to wobble, you can almost guarantee that, um, you know, it, because it's got four legs. If you try and climb a ladder against a wall, it's only got two legs, you probably need someone to hold the bottom. A tripod is perfectly stable because it has, you know, three legs. If you go rock climbing, um, always have three points of contact with a wall, two feet, one hand, or two hands and, and one foot, but you always have that three point contact. 
how you stay alive and stay safe when you climb. And I think from a trading perspective too, having that similar sort of rule where there are three um, layers, if you will, of analysis to help ensure that what you're doing is both safe, but also creates an opportunity is is something that's key. And if you're just buying on price, that's, that's, a, that's only one leg in the equation. And it's a very flawed one at that because it's susceptible to move quite quickly. So Looking at the charts, looking at the price action, I think is, is is a very important thing to do. It tells you where something has been. It tells you where the sentiment towards that has been and, of course, where it is right now. But just because you're looking at price today doesn't mean to say, you know, that's its turning point. It's going to move up from that. You've got to look at what was the catalyst for the sell down. And, and you get broad based sell offs in markets where the whole market drops. You get sector specific sell offs where the whole sector drops. Or you can find things that are very much more stock specific where a particular stock drops. And, and the facts that are pushing price down are very, very important to take into account uh, when making your investment decision. If it's a broad market sell off, it's not something that's particularly bad with that business. Business. Whereas if it's a stock specific sell off or, 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 or there's news about that stock uh, that's quite negative that's caused the price to drop, well, that probably isn't good value to buy. There's a weight of money pushing against that. So to play devil's advocate here for you, AB, let's say a stock that an investor likes, they've been tracking, comes down by a lot. And yep. now we look at the traditional tools of valuation based on its price, it's now undervalued. Mm. For example, say maybe a price to earnings ratio isn't that time that you buy? Um, depends on whether you're running what we call a tax loss strategy or not. I think there's a lot more to it than that. And you know, irrespective of the valuation kind of tools that you can use, and look, we've got a whole swag of them in our trading lab here. Um, you know, you can use you know, seasonals, you can use valuation modeling, you can use PEs. And, and it, it intrigues me sometimes when analysts bury their head in all of that data and say, oh, you know, based on all the data, this should perform quite well. It's kind of like looking, you know, if you've got a computer and you've got the you know, Bureau of Meteorology website the radar says it's unlikely to rain uh, the the air pressure is is quite high so technically it shouldn't rain seasonally it shouldn't rain this month you go oh, it's probably not going to rain but if you look out the window and it's pouring down um, the tools that you're using aren't really reflecting the reality of what's going on so I think you know that litmus test that look out the window that we talk about is, is, is something that's very very important so again just because something's cheap doesn't make it a good buy um, let, let's take an example of this a current example something like Harvey Norman which um, you know you, you across the market you're in it every day so five dollars and change not that long ago less than four bucks 379 I think this morning 379 something like that. now so you know that's a that's a that's a fairly substantial change it's a you know 25 percent move or so in its price because it's 25% cheaper, does it mean it's better value? Yes, it's cheaper than paying over five bucks for it, but does it make it a good buy? And the answer is probably not. Uh, and the reason for that is the, the the seismic shift that we've seen over the last couple of weeks where interest rates are on the move up, consumer confidence is dampened because of that uh, and people's desire their propensity to want to spend on discretionary things like a new tv uh, and, and look there's a distinction if you if you dish you know if your washing machine's broken or your cooker's broken you've got to replace it but that's a replacement decision as opposed to an upgrade decision so psychologically it's quite different but that notion of discretionary money you know oh yeah let's go and buy a new stereo system you know life's good let's buy a new tv or home theater life's good um and you go and drop your 8 10 12 15 grand whatever you spend on your setup those sorts of decisions are going to be far less prevalent in an economy where people are less certain about the uh, the outcome uh, or the outlook should i say um maybe they're struggling a little bit more in terms of mortgage payments cost of living as we know has gone through the roof so it's one of those situations where you 
defer your discretionary spending down the line a little bit. And I think that's the sort of catalyst why Harvey Norman's prices come off, because people are going to be less likely to want to spend on a discretionary basis. On a valuation perspective, it looks cheap. It's been on a great dividend because it's had unbelievably hassle on times. You know, there have been an awful lot of people that have been major beneficiaries for the COVID uh, situation, for example, with various subsidies uh, and possibly have had more income than they've had previously. And they've been spending it, which is exactly what economic stimulus is for. You throw money at the economy to get it moving and they've spent it. But that money is drying up. And so, you know, the cavalry is not coming over the hill in that regard. So it's had a terrific run. Is it a good buy right now? Well, I'm not so sure about that. Looking out the window, what's coming over the horizon economically and consumer confidence-wise, I don't think so. It's probably more fairly valued now, but it's certainly not a buy. It's interesting you say that, and I think we keep running with this example, AB. So mm. we've got you know good valuation potentially on Harvey Norman considering mm. where the price is mm. at. Arguably poor fundamentals based on the litmus tests of relevancy. Mm. What about that third leg of the tripod you mentioned on Harvey Norman specifically? Yeah, so in that regard, we look at quants specifically, which is their measure of volatility. Um, and, and the idea of this is that each investor has got their own appetite toward risk. Uh, just in the same way, if you went out for dinner at an Indian restaurant, some people like my father would take the most mild form of butter chicken you could possibly have on the menu. And then there are other people that perhaps a bit more, my sister-in-law is a great example of this and she, her tolerance for spicy food is off the charts. I'm probably more skewed that way, but not quite as hot as she can handle it. And so what you can do on that menu is choose something that hits your taste buds. Uh, and in just the same way within the stock market, you can pick spicier stocks that are gonna give you more volatility if that's what your appetite is or more middle of the road, slower moving, less volatile stocks if you're someone that's perhaps a little bit more conservative. And so quants are one of the tools that we use, specifically volatility is the tool that we use to measure that. Uh, and going through the market turmoil that it has, and also with that revaluation, you know, Harvey Norman right now will be quite a spicy stock. And so unless you're someone that's got a tolerance toward risk, it's another precursor to, yes, it's good value uh, and it's significantly cheaper than where it was. The fundamentals are a little questionable, which is arguably why it's sold off, but it's also a little bit more spicy than someone that's maybe a beginner investor or someone that's a fairly conservative investor might want to take on in their portfolio, whereas somebody perhaps that's a more aggressive speculator might be looking to um, uh, get exposure to that for you know, a potential um, you know, key reversal or something like that. Okay, so if we had a look, broadly speaking here, AB Harvey, Norman's probably not a buy at this stage. Mm. So if I can throw... And, and, and just to be clear on this, Mitch, because uh, yeah, I don't want the, 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 the content of this, this podcast to date. Yeah, we could go on and talk about lots and lots of specific stocks. But if you're listening to this right now, don't get caught on the specific stocks understand the process behind it because when the process is right the results always follow if you learn this process you'll always find good stocks to invest in whereas if you're relying on a stock tip if you will to say oh that's this or this isn't that right now it's very very dated advice and it, especially in this market it could change in you know in a trading session almost so try and get your head around the process of the signposts that we're looking for as opposed to the individual stocks we're using the stock more to provide a real world example than to say it's a buy or it's not a buy right now all right, well, in essence of applying those three signposts, AB, three uh, three quick balls I'm gonna throw at you here mm. if we could do a quick analysis on that. Mm. First one is SQ, so block. Okay, 
So let's take Block, which you know it's had a, an implosion in terms of its overall price. So from a value perspective, it's unbelievably cheap right now compared to where it was, say, six months ago. I think it's gone from you know in the order of about two twenty a share to around sixty dollars and change right now. So you know that's a, a substantial sixty five percent discount. And if you were if you were mooching through the shops and you saw the sixty five percent off uh, bucket, you'd probably be, you know good place to buy some sports socks or something. So does that necessarily mean it, it it's it's good value? It's a better value value uh, and it might be a more attractive valuation but why has it dropped away and I think in the case of block or square as it is you know it's a business which has done quite well uh, you know if you think about going to a, pretty much any cafe or a farmers markets running the little white plastic square we use them here um, for, for credit card payments it's a brilliant business in that model um, but it's a one-trick pony. That is what it does. And we've had a consumer boom like there's no tomorrow. And now I think we're crossing over the flexion point where we're going to start to see you know, quite a significant economic contraction, which means less people hitting a white square with their credit card, number one. Number two um, is their acquisition of Afterpay. Uh, and, and in that regard, you know, it was a, I think it was a $38 billion acquisition, which I think it was done on a stock-only basis. So yeah. it's still about $12 billion. They paid a lot of money for something that doesn't really Make, well, it doesn't make any money. Um, you know, it's got a regulator that's catching up with it. It's got bad debts and bad PR issues as we move into a more tricky part of the economic cycle. You know, it's done very well in terms of its stock price because we've been in a consumer boom, but that's not there now. So I think there's going to be some really heavy digestion pains for Square to or Block to um, to be able to. Um, you know, digest that acquisition. And then thirdly, you know, as we talked about in, in our podcast a few weeks ago, Clash of the Titans, you know, you've got Apple moving into that that payment services space now and, you know, their uptake is likely to be off the charts given 85% of merchants in the world already take Apple Pay. They're, 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 they're already there. That, so, you know, that's something that's going to weigh quite heavily on the fundamentals. So even though it's incredibly cheap, um, it's got an uphill battle to return itself, if you will, to the top of the, the podium in that sector. Okay, so offering better value, arguably poor fundamentals, and then the third one's quants, which we know is a super spicy oh, it's stock. Extremely so. spicy. So you know, unless you're someone that particularly uh, um, you know likes working with uh, cream, uh, white heat, then it's it's not for you. You know, it's the ghost chili of, uh, of spiciness. <laughs> so yeah, probably a good place to leave that one is in the cupboard. So you'd, you'd leave Square alone. Okay, mm. great great application. Doesn't suit process. me. It suits other people. I've got a couple of close personal clients that I know are trading that, and it suits their risk appetite. So sure. you know, it's horses for courses. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Uh, throw another one at you what about facebook or meta mm. isn't it good when these companies sort of change their name and is it oh, square facebook confusing. meta or yeah. uh, four or, companies or two um so you know obviously again from a valuation perspective um you know facebook is considerably cheaper than where it was um when you look at the fundamentals for it you know it's an interesting business because it's a monopoly um it's it, it, it's in a very very difficult position to get knocked off that podium particularly from a marketing perspective but again we've gone through a consumer boom and maybe as we go out the other side of that and we go into uh, yeah, potentially a recession, um, that propensity for companies to want to advertise, this, this is a significant cutback. So there's a risk over earnings there. The, the advantage that Facebook brings to the table is, of course, that it is a monopoly. Uh, and so it can um, you know, survive, I would imagine, through there. It's got also a big, decent cash burn rate with what it's doing, creating the metaverse as well, which is its future project for you know, what the future is going to look like, according to Zuckerberg et al. And, 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 and you go, okay, well, that may work. It may not. Who knows? And, and, and as we've moved into this this environment where 
take the, the sort of world of crypto for a moment, which has been absolutely smoked and probably rightly so. Um, and Nifty's NFTs, non-fungible tokens on the back of it. If you're not sure what they are, I did a terrific interview in this podcast series a little while back with the one of the people that created NFT. Crazy. So if you want to listen to it, that's that one with Eric Poulier is a brilliant overview of where that market is. So the whole idea of the metaverse and the use of NFTs, all of a sudden, you know, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a riptide, if you will, pulling that away from being the future now where, yeah, okay, you know, Crypto has not done so well. NFTs, maybe there's a bit of a, uh, a a bit of a stigma in there being attached to that on the back of crypto. And so, if Facebook's investing all this dough into this new metaverse, which is full of NFTs, is that really going to be the future that perhaps was envisaged maybe 18 months ago? And the answer could be no. So, there is a question mark there. I, I do think it's great value, and because it's a monopoly and its it, its earnings capacity is is vast because of that, it could well be you know, pretty reasonable value to tuck into your portfolio. It's also more of a commodity now as well. So the volatility side of it is very different from a tech company point of view. It's probably not as volatile as most companies you see in the tech space. Um, you know, and you see this with like Apple, Microsoft, those bemoth companies, as they become commoditized, the volatility, the spiciness changes a little bit. It starts to drop a bit. And I think yeah, the volatility is fine with Facebook, better value than it was most certainly. Question, a little bit of a question mark at the fundamentals. So it's a two from three, watching the fundamentals very carefully for you know, the opportunity to maybe enter into uh, what could be you know a great deal by buying at the right time. But those fundamentals are the moment aren't quite aligned for me. Great advice, AB. And I think the, the point you make there is patience. You don't have mm. to necessarily jump into something because yeah. it's now lower price. Applying all of this in time is what will set you up for Absolutely. success. Cheap, cheap can be dear. It can. Mm. So a third one I've got for you here. Let's go local. Let's say Commonwealth Bank, mm. CBA. Thoughts? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? And, uh, and I did an interview um, on the radio a little while ago with Macquarie and um, the, the, we're talking about um, Commonwealth Bank and I, I suggested that investors could potentially use the dividend they've received for that to insure their shares for about eight months at I think $103 a share at the time. Mm-hmm. Now it's trading at around about 80 bucks. So for, 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 the, for the dividend income you had, you could have used that to buy insurance to have protected your downside, uh, which given it's down you know, 20% probably wasn't a bad bad idea. So how do I see that business? And look, out of the Aussie banks, if you take Commonwealth, you know, Matt Cummins done a sterling job as as CEO. Uh, he's great in front of the media uh, and he's doing a really good job. And I think out of all the banks, you know, Ralph Norris was a great CEO for, for, for Commonwealth going back in, in time too. Um, you know, it's head and shoulders above the other banks. The biggest one by a long way, uh, it's got a huge mortgage book. Uh, and I think... Whilst there's pressure in the residential lending space, if you compare it to NAB, which is more business banking orientated, um, it's probably a lower risk play in that regard. Um, it's also significantly better value given the fact that it's now 20% cheaper. Yes, it's got some issues in terms of what may be coming over the hill with the property market in terms of if we do see you know, the kind of declines that the RBA forecast, and to be fair, RBA forecasts are not really worth listening to, no. but uh, um, you know, if, if, if you see a 15, 20, 25% drop in property, you know, there may be a little bit duress on, on the mortgage book for, now, uh, for CBA, but in a rising interest rate environment, typically that's quite good for banks because they've got the ability to create a little bit more margin between you know, their, their lending and savings rates. Um, but it is a very, very well-run company. So at these levels, it's starting to look you know, reasonably attractive. And even if you've got a, a modest um, outlook towards the property market, the bottom line is they've already got a gargantuan established loan book where it's going to be earning more revenue-wise for them as interest rates move higher. So in that regard, it's probably you know, not in such a bad position and certainly looking quite attractive. 
It's, 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 it's interesting how um, when you apply the fundamentals, it's not just what appears on the surface. It's, it's an actual connection of what's going on economically to mm. what's going on in the business and, mm. and really diving into that. Yeah. So CBA, you know, cheaper at the moment, good fundamentals potentially. And then mm. what about the quants? AB is the third one there. Well, again, um, just by virtue uh, of the nature of its business, typically banks you don't want to see and nor should you expect to see them with high levels of spiciness, if we continue with that analogy. They shouldn't be that volatile because they're bemoth organisations, they should be reasonably stable. Tech companies, miners, they typically are more volatile based on you know, the underlying aspects of their business being either commodity prices or, or, or in the case of tech, the tech space, it's a generally faster moving um, type of market. So, you know, with your banks, you do want them to be fairly steady as you go. So there's your beef madras sort of sit somewhere in between your, your, your butter chicken and your chicken uh, fowl or whatever it may be at the other end of the spectrum. So you should always see CBA and the banks, broadly speaking, in that mid range of volatility. And I guess from you know a cash on demand or covered call perspective, they're great stock because there's good income you can pull from them. Not talking about dividends here, but that weekly, fortnightly, monthly income uh, through option selling over there. Um, and, and when you compare that to what you can pick up dividend-wise, yeah, even if it's on a 4.5% dividend, you can make that two months trading covered calls over it, not over 12 months, which makes it an infinitely better way of playing that particular stock. The technicals on that pullback, again, make it attractively valued. So between the technicals and the quants, you're kind of there and the fundamentals, I think, for that business in particular are, are more robust than the rest of the banking sector. So when you bring those three things into focus, there's a good quality overlap. It's more of a green light, I think. Well, there we go. So we've got a potential bargain that's now a buy because of the additional analysis that mm. we've done with that AB. And I think that process was was perfect as you sounded it out there. So as we come to the end of today's broadcast, are there any final words you'd, you'd say out there for a cautionary tale for investors? Yeah, don't get sucked into the valuation trap. Um, you know, I've seen enough market pullbacks in my time. My first ever investment was just before the 87 crash. So I remember vividly what it's like to lose dough when markets pull back. Um, but it can be mitigated. So having stops in play, buying puts to protect is another thing. But I think just sometimes not letting the money burn a hole in your pocket and, and, and just slowing down your decision making and don't think, oh, I missed it today. Uh, I'm never going to get a bargain like that again, because I think we are in a little bit of a challenging market right now, which is very headline vulnerable. You know, the wrong headline comes up or in, in the case of the US, a big CPI figure uh, and subsequent interest rate rise. All of a sudden, you know, you're seeing, you know, significant moves down. So, you know, I think this one's going to play out over the next few months as the market starts to base out. So this isn't something you're going to drop everything and buy right now. I think it's, uh, it's one where I think, you know, a little bit of more considered decision making uh, is key. That said, if you're someone that's holding a portfolio of shares, being caught as a, a rabbit in the headlights, watching your portfolio drop down 5 6% every two days is not fun. And this is the case for getting educated to learn how to offset and mitigate that risk because you know, by having some short positions in your account, gives you a bit of a hedge on your portfolio by buying protection, cuts out the downside risk, having stop losses, cut positions early. I think you know, one of my clients, we had him, he had CBA, we we're out at 102 hit 102 time nice. to get out uh, and you know oh okay i took two two or three dollars off my investment but that's a lot better than taking 23 dollars off your investment and, and and this is really what it's all about is making sure that if you are going to make a loss which is the reality of investing you're going to make losses from time to time keep it small because all but all big losses mitch used to be small ones we just let them get out of control so keep them small manage them using stops uh, and most importantly as i say you know sometimes sitting on your hands 
with regard to a new buy just because it looks cheap and good value, really make sure you're looking through all three lenses that we've talked about here. And uh, it's amazing what you look look at this different. I, I think I've used this story before, but um, one of my one of my kids has got a, a, a kids encyclopedia and it's it's got all drawings um, that it, you just look at it without the glasses on and it just looks like a whole raft of mess basically but if you use the blue lens to look through you can see all of the wildlife from an animal's perspective if you look through the red lens same picture you start to see all the trees and plants and then if you look through the green lens you see all the buildings and the man-made stuff it's one picture and it's a real mess when you look at it with untrained eyes but as you put those separate lenses on it you start to understand really what's being shown very very clever uh, way of engaging the kids and i'm fascinated with that particular book right now as you can tell because i'm talking about it with you right now <laughs> uh, and i think trading is the same you've got to be able to look through those different lenses to see different things and when they all come into focus that's where you can squeeze it trigger with a level of confidence add some risk management around that and that's how you make money in this game awesome great advice ab thank you very much absolute pleasure anytime there you have it guys make sure you give us a review and a rating and we'll look forward to seeing you next week